Breaking the cycle to step forward. Authentic conversations from lived experience and a professional perspective in overcoming abuse with Chris Tuck and Beverly Ann. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Breaking the Cycle to Step Forward podcast with myself, Chris Tuck, and the lovely... Beverly Ann, hello. <laughs> this week, we are talking about online connections are they safe and this is episode number 43 Bev (laughs) I'm trying to stop saying I can't believe it (laughs) (laughs) can't believe it's not butter (laughs) (laughs) but there are other varieties available as well (laughs) of course there is but just clarify yeah yeah and just to clarify there are 43 episodes but we also now have guest episodes special editions and that new have you got five minutes q a with both of us so it's actually coming up for a year on all of the podcast websites so we'll be celebrating that very soon yeah because we've celebrated year already on youtube haven't we but this is on all of the other podcast platforms that you diligently set up for us both so thank you (laughs) (laughs) so going back to today's topic it can get quite heavy at times I do believe just from the conversation that we've just had um online connections are they safe where would you like to start with this well I want to start where we all do very innocently with online let's be honest because there's two sides to everything even as an adult so I know when I very first started and I will name Facebook That was as my children were becoming older. At that time, it was a way to connect if they were somewhere else. You know, you can see what they're doing. They wanted to share it. If if we were in different countries, that happens as they become older. You can message each other because that's before WhatsApp was really as Mm -hmm. prevalent as it is. Um, So, yes, there is a great side. And it's lovely to see friends that you haven't seen for years. You know, all of all of that. So absolutely it's great but even as adults and we're talking about adults being consenting being over the age of 18 um we know when we were talking about this we get loads of whether it's through business account or whether it's through personal we get lots of people wanting to be our friends now it could be because they really want to to follow what we've got to say you know both privately and also professionally um the ones that really great me as well are the sales ones that don't actually want to connect they want to sell you something thank you i block them now as they do that thank you very much no and then you get the creepy ones mm-hmm. the creepy ones or as you were saying the dick pics yeah and i hate to use that phrase but me being in the fitness industry i belong to a few fitness groups and a lot of the individuals within these groups, because we are online doing fitness, some of us might not be wearing, you know, fully clothes. We might be wearing like a bra or we might be wearing tight um, leggings or whatever it is. So whatever clothing we're using for our fitness to, you know, show our skill set online by doing some fitness workouts, whatever, they will then get in their inbox people mainly men connecting with them just out dick pics 
Now, if one was to land in my inbox, I would be very triggered. But these individuals within this group, they just laugh it off because they sort of like go, oh, yeah, that happens to me. That's happened to me. That's happened to me. It happens to me all the time. Well, why is that OK? And, and to be honest and fair to them as well, I've laughed in the past and I have done. But it was only after somebody else pointed it out and it wasn't you on that occasion it was someone else this was a few years ago they said but that's crossing your boundaries and actually when I thought about it I was like yeah that there was no it wasn't there was no contact or anything like that it was just I mean I used to just laugh it off but then it's like hold on a minute and it, I just want to highlight here how things become acceptable and they start yeah. off as a joke because that's something that's happened previously but does it make it always right? Because no, no actually, where's it wasn't consenting. It was sent. It, it was taken away the choice. So I think this is really important when mm -hmm. we're talking about this subject, because also if that's us as adults, what about our children? And we're mm -hmm. defining children as under eighteen. Yeah. And you look at the scams that are going around. You know. People at one time, and I'll put my hand up, they just think, oh, if you're being scammed, you know, you've been silly, you've done this. The scamming is becoming so, so clever that there was a post the other day and I couldn't even see the difference at first. And once they pointed out the difference in the email address, I was like, wow. I like to think of myself as a an intelligent adult who um, is a bit streetwise at times, but no you know you yeah. can get caught out at any time so what about our children if that's happening to us as adults what's happening with our children yeah and again with um say like the dick pic coming into your inbox we can go laugh it off we could report it we can block them we will just deal with it and get on with it because we've got years on our side. We've got wisdom on our side in most cases. But as you said, with a child under or young person under the age of 18, um, they might not know how to deal with it. And then all of a sudden, if it then is followed up with a narrative of you've now seen this picture, you're going to get into trouble if you don't send me one back or if you don't converse with me or whatever the situation is then that becomes a very unsafe environment and a grooming perspective, grooming environment for that perpetrator to that young person. And it's done so easily and so quickly. And that is why I am saying online is not necessarily safe for our young people. And we're going to widen this conversation, aren't we? Absolutely. And I mean, I... And I've shared it on another podcast. I, um, I remember an incident with one of my children where I was able at that time to go through a platform. It wasn't Facebook. And I was able to see um, stories of their friends, etc., and get access to it very innocently because it was on my mm -hmm. computer. And this is often how things happen. You know, your child may have gone to a friend's and they're on someone's laptop and suddenly there's access to their information, you know, but anything you put on. And I will say there's what frightens me. And I know you've been to um, a big conference about this as well. Um, and we both heard a woman, um, Joe Whip, talking about um, 
groomers and how they lock into certain information. And I know you're on the Trisha show and we're going to incorporate that with this video as well about how innocent pictures are mm -hmm. taken up by perpetrators and they can find out what school, you know, yeah. and, and they're finding ways to connect outside of that social media platform. Yeah. Yeah. And also one of the areas of concern, massive concern, and always has been, to be honest, is children and young people being able to sign up to these platforms even before the age of 13, which is the official age for most platforms before you can even sign up, because there's no age verification needed for children and young people to sign up. So you can literally get accounts on every single platform. And until this age verification is introduced, mandated and introduced, we're not going to be able to protect children of the younger age if they can just sign up willy-nilly to these platforms yeah yeah so I think that age verification um it's going through parliament as we speak on the on online safety bill um it's part of that and, and I think it will be passed but the onus really does need to be on the platform people um like Facebook like TikTok like Instagram I'll name all of them so I won't leave any of them out um Twitter all yeah. of them, they yeah. all need to have a duty of care to children and young people and, and make sure they get some kind of ID to prove that that person who's signing up is of age and knows the potential pitfalls of using social media. Because it's great if it's only for connection. It's great if it's only for innocent things. But it's not when it's not. Absolutely. And it, it's happening so much more. And there are a couple of grey areas. One yeah. grey area that I, I really would like to highlight in this programme is between the age of 16 and 18. So at 16, you can give consent in some areas, but you can't in others. So, you know, we've seen several stories so far this year about 17-year-old pe young people who are in a relationship or swapping images, okay, with a much older person. And we're not talking five years or 10 years. We're talking 30 years plus, 30, mm -hmm. 40 years plus. And regardless of the gender, we're talking about a young person and we're talking about a much, much older person who has... Be wiser and know yeah, better. Who, so the power imbalance. So you've got an yeah. age imbalance. Mm -hmm. You've got a power imbalance. Yeah. We're also talking... I want to be clear here as well. This doesn't just happen to famous people. It yeah. may be, you know, but we're also going to bring in that some of these people are people that have a persona that are trustworthy they're respected and they are on our tv regularly so they get an additional hype on their platform and difference mm -hmm. yeah and now um when it comes to grooming at the age of 17 and someone who's over 18 and a big difference they the legal 
impact of that is very grey itself because they can say that it was consensual. They haven't broken the law. But I've got to say, I find that challenging. I really do. Because if my child was 17 and I found out that there was a, a person, regardless of their sex, there was a person that many years older, I would find that very challenging, especially when my child wouldn't be allowed to go into a pub and buy themselves an alcoholic drink. Or vote at the moment. Yeah. But then... It's taken that because that my child has said, but we're in love and not realised yeah. how they're being groomed, it's not illegal. Yeah. And it's not until there's a pattern of behaviour that is proven and the young person wants to initiate a case through the criminal justice system, is it a case? So let me reiterate. If the young person thinks they're in a relationship, if the young person doesn't see what has happened to them as abuse and they don't want to proceed with a case, even if other people around them think that it is a case, a case won't happen because it can't. It's the person that is the victim or the complainant that pushes a case through criminal justice system. No one else. So it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what a parent thinks. If the young person, the victim, alleged victim, alleged complainant doesn't want to pursue, there is no case. And I find that really challenging. Mm -hmm. And I understand we have a legal entity, but it is so grey. And then what I find when I'm reading people's comments on there because we've got the media who jump right in and it gets distorted because let's be honest there's a lot lot of supposition there's a lot of words used and often it's in favor of the perceived older person but the impact they go into it with full knowledge and the impact mm -hmm. it has not only on the younger person but on their family, but on their own families, their own families. On the alleged perpetrator's family, yeah. Become the victims. Yeah, yeah. And they're it's left. very complex. Yeah. Very and I, complex. Do, I find yeah, it challenging so. when I read the messages saying, leave that person alone. They're lovely. They're this, they're that. And I'm like, whoa, hold on a minute. But that's the problem the whole way around this conversation of child sexual abuse and exploitation is the alleged perpetrator uses their position of power, uses their status to prove that they are a good guy and that they couldn't possibly um, perpetrate said crime. Yeah? Yes. They know that. They manipulate the situation. So the rest of society needs to wisen up and know that a perpetrator, and we've said this so many times, can be anybody. That's why it's important to be having this conversation because we're both holding ourselves back here and we're trying to make it as real as, because it's every day. It's yeah, every it's day not people. One case, is it? Yeah. No, it's every day people. It's, you know, synonymous with 
several cases that we've seen, high profile cases. And I will say, only time will tell because we also know facts. Let's be honest, we've been there. There's facts where um, once the abuse has ended or what we deem to be a relationship sometimes, you know, on the average, it could be up to eight, 16 years before it's like, oh, oh, that's what it was. Yeah, it wasn't a relationship. It was da, da, da. Yeah. 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 Because when you're in the middle, you don't see it and you're so young. And I just find that when I when we think about that analogy, you're too young to walk into a pub and buy a drink and make that choice. Mm-hmm. And yet a criminal case is only held when that young person that can't buy an alcoholic drink says, actually, yes, this happened. And I want to see what I mean. Mm, yeah, it is very complicated. But as I said, there is no case unless that person wants to pursue no. it. Um, or more people come forwards and they realise that a crime has been committed against them. And then when you've got one person come forward, another person, another person, and we can name Savile. Yes. So that's exactly what happened in the Savile case. Once he, start, once he died, um, his position of, of authority, his position of paying to keep everyone quiet, his position of just um, scaring his victims into silence obviously went. So he died and then everybody come out of the woodwork. Rumours, we knew about it, we couldn't speak up. And then all of those victims came out of the woodwork, literally. And it happens time and time again. Once a person is no longer here, then we hear the truth. And again, with the victims, they had to prove they were innocent. So with a perpetrator, it's innocent until proven guilty. But as a victim, it's it's guilty until proven innocent. And we really need to change this perspective around. So that perspective is changing within the police force because of um, the Operation Soteria, Bluestone Soteria. It's because of the Casey review and everything we know about the police, all the different police forces going wrong, all of the stuff within not going right and them not delivering a service that is robust and professional um, overall, all of the failings. Um, Bluestone Soteria is their answer to changing that around and there's more, uh, what's the word? It's looking at the um, perpetrator more than the victim when it comes to um, proving the case. So it's turning itself on its head and doing the reverse to what you just said. And, that was a and let's be honest, but... no, no, but I say the word fantastic and that makes it sound like I want people, you know, which I'm, I want people yeah. to. It's not about that. It's about listening to this crime, which repeatedly gets diminished and pushed aside. And it is a crime. And just because things have gone on before and been allowed, 
we need to make those changes. It's the only way we're going to enable people to, or children first of all, and vulnerable people to be protected, but then also enable them to know that it's safe to say this has happened so it gets stopped much sooner. But it's the education and the awareness that we always come back to, Bev, because, um, you know, you can legally consent to sex at the age of 16. However, an indecent image you can't consent to until you're over the age of 18. So there's a discrepancy there in, in the law, in my opinion. Um, it should both be 18, in my opinion. Um, and it's just like, okay, well, we know online abuse has massively gone up. We know that just by, you can see it every day, the issues that um, they have with trying to catch online paedophiles and to stop the online abuse of, of children and young people. But they call it um, child sexual abuse imagery, whether it be photos or videos and CSAM is the abbreviation. And basically CSAM has escalated and a lot of it is by children and young people because using a phone, like my friend said at the peer conference, um, May, she said like the phone is the equivalent of us going to a photo booth and having our picture taken. We used to go and do that because we didn't have these gadgets. But this is literally, this phone is a portable photo booth. And where we muck around in a photo booth at party and we put all of those silly hats on, the scarves on and everything else, it's a big deal. You literally can take your phone, do a filter and do whatever you want. And then that picture is created and it can be sent anywhere mm. and to anybody. And that is, unfortunately, where online connections cannot be safe for everybody if those pictures say like I'm in a, a relationship with you and we're I don't know young and I've sent you a picture mm. you could then share that picture anywhere and everywhere without my consent so yeah. that's a child sexual abuse imagery that's gone online but I've not consented to yeah. yeah. And we've seen and many cases. Yeah. We've seen many cases where there's consenting adults, where, where a relationship is broken down. Yeah. And there's been revenge. Porn, they call it, Porn. don't they? Yeah. Um, and that's now illegal. Yes. That's illegal. Yeah. So we, yeah. that's it. Two consenting adults. That's illegal. Can't show it. Done. So we come back to children again and suddenly yeah. it's, it's, different it's a gray area and it's like why well the law says no pictures under the age of 18 that's what it says you know of of a of a nature of nudity for example um but it doesn't stop children and young people sharing stuff in between themselves innocently yeah very innocently and then as you said if a relationship breaks down or a perceived relationship breaks down or if someone's in a bullying, a bit of a bullying situation and, and that a picture gets into the wrong hands, it can be sent anywhere and everywhere. And that's the damage because it's always online. Um, 
it's very frightening for children and young people I think because they don't even though it's so easy and so innocently done in most cases it can become quite traumatic and an evil thing for them to be going through absolutely you know uh, put yourself in your uh, you know you know what it's like at school being bullied that's that's being bullied but on an absolute other level and I'm not taking away the impact of bullying I know the impact of bullying as well myself but that's another level but you've spoken this year at the peer 23 conference yeah you also spoke on the Trish program of which we're going to to include that into this This video this video and it will be also on the vid on the audio yeah and although we don't like to cut we will be cutting that in yeah so we'll be putting the video in as of now yeah and then now we're back from the video tell me about your thoughts about um being on the Trish program and also speaking at the Peer 23 conference okay so on the Trisha Goddard program when they called me last weekend obviously this is going to be a few weeks in advance um basically she wanted me to talk about the impact on the victim because I wasn't going to get into the actual situation because I don't know the facts I'm not investigating the case so I didn't want to get into the actual situation um but talking about the impact on the victim if indeed that person sees themselves as a victim Mm. I could talk about that to the cows come home like you could Mm. yeah so I thought yeah great get me on fine but Trisha, she asked me all sorts of questions, which really opened up the conversation around ch- child sexual abuse and exploitation. And I was really thankful for her for doing that. But she also was trying to innocently take me down a path where I didn't want to go. So I had to think on my feet and take it back to where I felt comfortable speaking about my own knowledge and insight because I don't like talking about stuff that I don't really know about yeah Yeah. um so and I've listened back to it and I feel like um I was able to present the facts around what I know and share with um the listeners as a whole so I was pleased to be on that and at the peer conference I was obviously there to listen to all of these professionals and academics from around the world about online child sexual abuse and exploitation. And it is frightening, Mm. I have to say. Absolutely. Um, I might get some stats and that together for another podcast. Um, But the fact that I could speak on that program, um, at that event, about... um, the impact and share that platform with May was really, really good because it, it's just you're using your lived experience to bring things to life. Because sometimes yeah. academia can be very, very boring and it's like it needs the lived experience to really shine a light and to give that insight and to share what it's like to live with trauma on a day to day basis. So, yeah, being very um, honoured, really to have those platforms and hope to get many more uh, opportunities involved in the conversation um and coming back the conversation is very much um 
the headlines in just about every newspaper for the last couple of days is about this appalling abuse. Uh, the BBC, this is the BBC presenter at the centre of the sex pic uh, picture scandal. It's alleged that this unnamed person um, gave up to or a total of something like £35,000 to a young person to um, send revealing uh, pictures. Um, uh, the mother of this person said they went to the BBC um, and, and begged them to just get this person to stop. They did not, and therefore that's why they went to the newspapers. The son says they have a sworn affidavit for the parent who did not receive any payment for this. So it wasn't that at all, would not, did not, just desperate for this to stop because apparently the money was going to fund this child, uh, were a child at the beginning, 17, now age 20, uh, fund the child's uh, crack cocaine addiction um, and uh, as you heard in the breaking news earlier today the culture secretary is, uh, is going to have a meeting may well be at that meeting with the BBC finding out what they have actually done what they are doing and what have you because there's all sorts of reports like this person that has been accused was seen at a drinks party after that it was May 17th I think the mother said she went to the BBC and it's claimed that this person was seen hobnobbing with big wigs at the BBC after that so that's all we don't know all of that uh what we we have what we have from from the sun and and that's about it as you also heard all sorts of people's names are being dragged into this and as our guests have said and as you may have heard on the news do not spread share retweet any names because you know we've got people like um people at the BBC mails coming out and saying it wasn't me you can be done and should be done for libel if you do that. So I, I want to talk to the effect of all this, because while we're having this discussion, it will affect a lot of people who've been in similar situations. Joining me now is Chris Tuck, who's a child sex abuse activist. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I, I, I first do want to acknowledge that this whole issue and seeing it on every newspaper um, headline is going to be triggering for a lot of people. Would I be right in saying that? Absolutely, Tricia. Absolutely. Anything like this that comes up in the news, and it does come up on a very regular basis, almost daily, um, will be triggering to a victim and survivor of sexual assault, sexual abuse, rape, whatever their situation is, it will be triggering for them. Because we often think of, of, of when we talk about sexual abuse or child sexual abuse, we, uh, we often think of older male, very young child, that's it. But the nuances and the shades in between, what I'd be right in saying, because we have that misconception of that's what sexual abuse is, many people who are on the receiving end of sexual abuse don't see it like that. No, 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 it's not sexual abuse. He really just likes me because we don't spell out the many, many, many forms it can take. Absolutely. Education and awareness around this whole topic does need to improve and it does need to hit the whole of society because of all of the nuances that you've explained. Often victim and survivors, especially vulnerable young people, don't know that they're actually being abused. They don't know they've actually been groomed. Sometimes it can be a power dynamic within 
the relationship between the adult and the young person and that young person can think that they're in a legitimate relationship but actually they're being groomed they're being exploited and um for for the purpose of the adult that's entered that relationship and the young person can obviously feel that you know everybody on the outside is against their relationship because they don't understand yeah. they're actually being abused and exploited now you make such a good point there now the word groomed again again when people think of grooms they think uh, be, uh, children being groomed they think of gangs uh, uh, you know I, I i do think um many newspaper headlines uh make us think that that's what grooming is without talking about the subtlety of it and therefore a young person can miss those cues because they see it in in literally in print in black and white just talk us through what is groom what can it look like how subtle can it be if you think of a vulnerable child that isn't um coming from a loving caring household for example that they're, they're brought up in chaos and that can be any household throughout you know england and wales for example um you will look for a sense of belonging you will look for someone that's going to be kind to you so you're vulnerable to all of that if you don't get that in your everyday life so you're going to be seeking out those people that are going to be kind to you going to be nice to you going to potentially buy things for you not in every case but in some cases so you're going to look for love and nurture outside of the family home if you're not getting that and then that is where grooming can take place because groomers can seek out those young people because they can see the vulnerability and if you listen to any sexual offenders that have been caught and convicted that's what they will tell you they will look for those children and young people that are vulnerable that are not getting something in their lives and that's how a potential perpetrator can access a child or young person and mm. uh, 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 would I also be right in saying you, a child um, or a young person could come from a, a pretty good, solid family background, but yeah. be in those teenage years where they feel they might be you know, mum or dad, maybe not at home, so wants to engage with an, a, a man taking interest in them or what have you. But they might also, the family might be okay, but their siblings, and I know, I'm doing it as a mum, teenagers often go through that, nobody loves me, nobody understands me and what have you. And hey presto. 100%. Hey 100%. presto. Yeah, yeah hey, a victim presto, this, and survivor yeah. can come from any background, any socioeconomic, uh, you know, any community. A victim can be anybody and a perpetrator can be anybody. Ah. And that's what we've got to get our minds around. Yeah, a, a perpetrator can be anybody again, because there again, there's a, there can be anyone at all. Now, let's talk about power dynamic. Let's add to that, because I, I've had this question of the day about why it tends to be, quote unquote, alpha males. We're not saying that all abusers are males, but we are saying that, I'm sorry, but the vast majority are, or have I got that completely wrong? No, you haven't got it. It is a gendered crime. If you look at the stats, if you look at the research, it is a gendered crime. However, there are more female perpetrators than what society would like to acknowledge really? and what is, yeah, and what is spoken about generally. 
but it is a male-dominant crime, but there are more female perpetrators than what we do speak about. Ooh. So I do want to bring a bit of balance into this. Yeah, please do. Please do. And because I've, I've read a lot of the times where, the, where a lot of the male perpetrators are assisted by females because, Absolutely. again, a, young, a, a younger person or any person, they're not necessarily a young yeah. person, but a vulnerable person thinks, oh, well, there's a woman here, so it must it's all be all okay. in my head. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it presents a, a sort of um, safe situation when there's a male and a female acting together when it comes yeah. to these cases. So if you look at Fred and Rose West, for example. Yeah. 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 Um, so where there's a bit of a maternal um, relationship Presence. there where the yeah. woman can use that to to gain access to children and young people that does seem to be a pattern in certain cases where there's a male and a female working together and often um if you look at um grooming gangs or organized networks you'll see that as well that that dynamic where there is a, a male perpetrator and a film female perpetrator working together to access the victims yeah. and then yeah they carry out their crimes so it yeah. is male dominant but there are me more female perpetrators than what we would like to um, recognize yeah. and acknowledge and also we need to keep coming back Tricia to most abuse takes a place in the home environment then you've got yes, abuse we always takes... talk about strangers don't we hey and, and, yeah, you know what? You, you've hit on you, you've hit on something when you, as we know with the stats, most abuse is in the home environment. Here, here's something. With, this is a, in this particular case, but in other cases, if the, let's say in this case, if the abuser or somebody, you know, often, and I've been told this, not, not as abuser, when you're on telly all the time, people see you almost as part of the family, don't they? That you're in a powerful position and yeah. that if you, and it adds, if you start taking interest in anybody, this is so-and-so off the telly and the social cachet. Number one, it must be safe because everybody watches them on the television. They might be a family household name or what have you. And number two, they're in that position. They wouldn't, they, the, anything they shower with me, they, they shower me with, they've got money, all of this. I'm super special and they can't be doing anything bad because they're literally part of the family because they're on telly every day. I, I, that, that just, I mean, is, is, could that be what's going on in this situation? I think anyone can have their heads turned by someone that has got a, a big profile, whether they be on TV, in the media, mm. or even the head of your community. Yeah, you could yes. have your head turned by someone. So even think about the family dynamic. The head of the family has that position of power and control over the people around them. So it doesn't matter if you look at whatever institution, whether you look at the media, whether you look at the family or a community leader, they yeah, have a yeah. certain um, position of power, position of trust within that ch child or young person's life. Yeah. Yes, and that's what yes. we've got to hook into is yeah, that yeah. power dynamic. And often we're told, you know, respect your elders 
or yes. maybe if it's in an organization and you're working your way up the ladder and you're getting helped by someone that is higher up in their career yeah there is a power dynamic there that mm -hmm. needs to be not exploited and it needs to be understood by both parties i think in order for those people to protect themselves as well from nothing going wrong or you know like another, today, another, another brilliant point because we talk you we talk about educating um people who are likely to be abused but there are those gray areas aren't they of people in those positions that you've just talked about not unwittingly because they're so everybody's like gathering around i'm thinking with church elders as well this has cropped up a lot all mm. over the world yep. especially in the united states but you've got that pat realizing the the very thin boundary they can be guilty of stepping over um and and starting that process because i'm sure a lot of people in this position unwittingly i mean they kind of wade into the, they're, they're ankle deep in the water before they know it they're literally up to their necks in it I, I do think there might be some people that may cross that line unwittingly, um, depending on what it is that's gone wrong. But I think perpetrators um, know exactly what they're doing. They, they use see that the power. Situation, they manipulate it and they, they go after what they want. And if anyone stands in their way, they're brushed aside. Yeah. yeah, but I, yeah. what I want to really talk about as well, Tricia, is the people around these perpetrators. Mm. If you see something, if you hear something, if you have a gut instinct that something's not right, you have a duty of care to speak up. Yeah. Yeah, you just do. Yeah. We can't keep having these cover-ups within institutions. It can't keep happening. We always hear, oh, I heard a rumour. Well, mm. I'm sorry, but rumour after rumour after rumour, there's going to be some fire to that. So can someone in a position of responsibility please check out the rumours and make sure there is no foundations to it? And if there are foundations to it, to it you're responsible for sorting that out, yeah? yeah? And if there are no foundations to it, then make sure that everybody knows what the outcome is so that people that are being accused of something that they're not responsible for, their names are not tarred and their reputations are not trash. Because we need to make sure we are transparent, open and honest in how we deal with all of these kind of cases so everyone knows where they stand. And then that the victim and survivor of these cases mm -hmm. um, can get the interventions that they need and get the support that they need. Yeah, Chris, I mean, that is, I mean, that really is the nugget of this whole conversation. And I want to thank you so much for being here to articulate it so, so well. That's a really powerful message that I do. I sincerely hope that our, our listeners and our viewers um, you know, hear and, and, and see and actually take on board. Uh, Chris. So, Chris, you've also had experience, not just by being a survivor, but also being a victim in a different way because of the actions of someone close to you. And they were actually convicted and uh, as a perpetrator. And it was also Sarah Champion read out um, a statement from you about being a victim. And it's something we need to think about this because 
often it's not considered we consider the victim as being the victim with the actions of the abuse but not about when you're the the family when you're related yeah and they often refer to that as the knock within the police force so especially um if there's CSAM, child sexual abuse imagery, and it's been perpetrated by the man in the family, for example, the police then knock on the door of this household and the partner or wife and the children of that alleged perpetrator know nothing about his crimes, could be her crimes, but mostly his crimes. Um, they then have to deal with the fallout of all of that but you've experienced also being a victim of the actions and the consequences of a perpetrator yourself. Yeah, my dad was convicted when I was 10, stroke 11, and I knew what he'd done because I got told. I knew he was in prison for those crimes, but I didn't really understand what it meant until a child in the playground shouted out, your dad's a pedo, you know, and I just felt like this deep rush of shame. I just wanted the ground to open up and swallow me up. I just thought, what did he say? Did I hear him right? Did anyone else hear him? And I just, I just remember going to hide I just took myself off to the toilets and I just thought, I, I just hope no one else knows what this boy said. And um, I lived with that shame for decades and I've only just recently dealt with it in my therapy in the last, I would say, two years. Yeah. So it yeah. has deep ramifications. Absolutely. And you can talk about it there from someone that's been convicted. But when we're talking about the grooming issues that we were talking about earlier on, there's still that impact for the families that had no idea what's been going on. Absolutely, 100%. Um, there's also, they receive, that they're still victims in a different way, but they also receive um, some horrible comments made against them sometimes because it's like, you should have known. Yeah, and not only that, people that live in their locality, once they find out about the convicted sexual offender or that someone's been charged locally, the parents, and quite rightly, I would do the same, will point fingers. And it's the non-offending members of that family that do become victims, but they're not recognised as victims in law at the moment. Yeah, yeah. But, and. and that's where there's a victim's bill that's changing for that. But going back to our first conversation as well, when we're talking about um, this grey area of online abuse, etc., and when we think of some high-profile cases that have come out this year, where it's been considered that the older person hasn't broken a law, the impact that has, even if the young person doesn't believe that the that that there's been a crime against them because they believe they're in, in love, you've got families being devastated behind. Yeah, you have. Because you've got partners. Yeah. You've got children, albeit they're grown-up children, but then they've got children as well. And 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 it's devastating. It it 
it's, it has that ripple effect, doesn't it? Deep ramifications, the ripples just go on and on. And all we can do is keep highlighting, raising awareness and speaking about all of this, because as we've seen, as you've said, from some of the comments on media, on social media, there's a lot of learning that needs to happen. <laughs> a huge amount of learning and without making judgments as well. You know, there's learning. Let's have some understanding. And I often find it, this, I don't know about you, Chris, there's two ways I look at it. One of it is an opportunity to educate and, and do that. from a, And then occasionally it will catch me on fire. And what it will do, even though I'm able to respond calmly, it's triggering and it's staying with me as I'm walking around, as I'm going to the park in my everyday life. And then I'm having to think, whoa, 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 hold on. That, that's not you that they're having a go at because we take it on personally we do and that's exactly why this podcast is called breaking the cycle because we're trying to break a cycle just because it's gone on like that for years no we're trying to break this cycle to enable everyone to step forward but also to see like coming right back to the beginning that what sometimes looks so innocent has its place and is innocent but also let's have some awareness let's help our young people you know think about the uh, young people as in our teenagers they're trying to explore they're trying to find out who they are and when it's online like that you know it really is challenging so if you're listening to this podcast and you happen to be 16 17 even 15 and you're not sure ask someone email us yeah. even ask yeah. us we'll give yeah. you some guidelines do you sort of mean if yeah. if if someone's asking you to do something and you're not sure and you're a bit embarrassed go and ask someone even in safeguarding at school it's yeah really and I important. also want to say Bev on top of that if you are in a situation and you're being threatened you're being asked to do things that you don't want to do and they're blackmailing you and saying you're getting into trouble for this the matter of fact is you won't yeah you need to make what they're doing to you end and you'll only do that by speaking up and sharing what's going on for you with someone that can help you end what's going on yeah silence and will make it continue and make it worse. And consent isn't about the first time. Consent is continual. So yeah. even if you consented one, two, three, four times and then yeah. think, no, this doesn't feel right now, I, that's when, you know, you still have the right to change your consent. Yes, anytime. Anytime. So, you know, and also for any parents or adults that become aware of something you know it's very easy it's very interesting oh but they're a lovely person they would never do that but if there's an imbalance of power and there's a question hold on a minute even if their intentions don't seem to be bad who's safeguarding the younger person or the imbalance in that that relationship yeah and i just want to end by saying if you see something know something 
have a gut instinct about something being wrong, it's your duty to speak up about it. And that leads on to mandatory reporting within institutions, which we'll come back and share on a completely different podcast because it's a whole podcast in itself. Um, but it then becomes law that if you know something, you need to report it on so that institutions cannot lock anything down that they know about and not pass it out to be investigated because they will be held accountable if and when mandatory reporting becomes law. Absolutely. So I think we've just about covered everything there. And yeah. we're obviously we're going to add in some additional information. If anyone's got any questions, always email us, breaking the cycle two step forward at gmail.com. And if anyone thinks we've got anything wrong in this podcast, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your views. And yeah. we are always open to learning. So if we've got something wrong, point it out to us and we will rectify it in the next podcast. Yeah. And and that's why we like having these conversations. You and I don't always agree. We have different ways of looking at things. And, and that's what life is about. And we're not looking, as we've said many a time, we're not looking to witch hunt, but we go so far not to witch hunt that actually I believe we put people in danger. By not by not being there for them. Yeah. 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 Breaking the cycle. Two step forwards. Yes. There and abusive, yeah, and abusive relationships don't just happen with young people. They happen with consenting adults. They happen with adults of the same age as well. But that's not necessarily what we're highlighting today. Yeah. So we're not diminishing anyone's experience, but we're yeah. looking at an area that just seems to continually be overlooked and misunderstood. Yeah. 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 All right, then. Well, that brings today's podcast to an end, everyone. And I have nothing else to add. Beth, any last words? I would like to think that anybody who's listened to us today, please keep an open mind. We'd love to hear your thoughts. But most importantly, as ever, it's about self-care and just taking time to breathe and, um, and know that we're opening this conversation to raise awareness to both those who are victims or survivors, um, but also to those of you that haven't had that experience, and but yet you, you really want to be able to understand so that you can support and, and prevent. So thank you very much for your time and we will see you in the next episode. Bye for now, everyone. Bye-bye.